You're about to listen to another episode of the Braun Body Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Braun. I founded Braun Body Training Holistics in 2019, and we started the Braun Body Podcast in March of 2020. Since then, we've released over 100 podcast episodes about various topics relating to training, nutrition, lifestyle, mental health, and so much more. We've been fortunate enough to have amazing guests on the show who range from doctors in physical therapy, chiropractics, nutrition experts, strength and conditioning specialists, and so much more. This podcast is your new one-stop shop for motivational content, health and fitness content, training advice, insight, and wisdom that you can get nowhere else. Welcome to the Brawn Body Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the show. Thanks for joining in for another episode of the Brawn Body Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Justin Merzwicki. We're going to be discussing the role of exercise and fitness in the older adult population. We're also going to be addressing some myths, such as if it's safe for older adults to exercise, if it's safe for them to lift heavy, and more. And we have some references to Dr. Justin Merzwicki's own research that he's published on weighted vest training and high-intensity resistance training in the older adult population. If you haven't heard of Dr. Merzwicki before, he's a professor at Lebanon Valley College where he teaches courses about pathophysiology, physical therapy, and exercise interventions in the older adult population. He also teaches inpatient physical therapy coursework. In addition to that, he's heavily involved in the Pennsylvania Physical Therapy Association. He's also published research, as I mentioned, which you can find by searching Dr. Justin Merzwicki on ResearchGate. I'll put a link to it in the notes below in case you just want to be able to click on that. Before we get to the show, I'm going to turn it over to our sponsor for a quick word. Dr. M, welcome to the show. Excited to have you. Thank you very much for having me, Daniel. So you've certainly had quite the journey when it comes to you know your career, your life. You're someone who currently specializes in treating geriatric patients. You have your doctorate in physical therapy but you're also a husband, a father, a professor, you practice martial arts, you do so much in your life. How do you balance all these things? Well, I think that that answer has changed over the course of the last several years. Mm -hmm. Um, Early on in my career, when I was trying to develop myself professionally while also developing our family, um, I think that I tried to stretch the length of my day as much as I possibly could. Mm -hmm. So getting up early, uh, doing work before work, that way I wouldn't have to do work after work. Right. Um, all of those sorts of things um, in order to try to maximize my day as much as possible. However, now that I'm getting a little bit older, um, the getting up early and going to bed late thing doesn't seem to be as effective um, from, a, <laughs> from a functional perspective. So I find myself... Um, really working more closely with my wife. She's an excellent teammate and partner. Uh, We do a lot more divide and conquer um, (laughs) as far as managing home responsibilities and the kids. Um, I still do try to get as much work done um, inside of the workday as possible to make time for taking part in my karate classes, um, being involved in the American Physical Therapy Association, et cetera. Um, But you know, at this point, some things have to be prioritized. Right. And so some of my personal pursuits 
will fall off at times, mm -hmm. um, only to reemerge at a later date. Right. Do you have any kind of advice for people who are trying to prioritize things in life, whether they're in school or in a career or anything like that? Yeah, I would say uh, try to keep your eye on what you hope to aspire to be right. and prioritize that first um, and understand that life is going to happen. And sometimes life will offer you twists and turns and your priorities are going to need to change. Right. I can't say that I've truly developed work-life <laughs> we're all so, pursuing that right <laughs> yes yeah, so that's kind of the uh unicorn at the end of the rainbow um so if i figure that out i'll let you know well while you might not have work-life balance i know that you're an expert in teaching balance to individuals specifically older adults um who might be at risk for things like falls what got you interested in working with that older adult population well, you know, I can't actually say that it was something that I was drawn to early in my career. I really feel as though working with older adults, um, it just kind of grew on me over time, in part based on clinical setting and practice. Mm -hmm. um, I worked early in my career in a community-based hospital, and many patients in a hospital are older adults. Um, and then I, I truly, truly fell in love with working with the older adult population um, when I took a job working in a skilled nursing facility, kind of uh, early to mid career. Right. Um, so that was that was that was the moment when I knew that working with older adults was really where I enjoyed my time the most. Right. Now, obviously, physical therapy is very rewarding because you get to help people through their physical rehabilitation and you learn a lot from that, but you also tend to learn a lot about life itself in the grand scheme of things. What has working with older adults, those who have you know years and years of wisdom and all that sort of experience, what has that taught you about life or any lessons that you've kind of started to apply to your own uh, endeavors? Oh, so that's, that's a great question. Um, I can tell you that uh, working with older adults who are more than willing to share their life experiences um, has been of great benefit to me. I have been given advice about uh, financial management, uh, saving, um, planning for the future, mm -hmm. etc. I've gotten wonderful advice regarding um, marriage and <laughs> how to how to make a relationship last. Um, things like how to how to raise kids in troubling times. You know, mm -hmm. our times are different now than their times were when they were raising their children, but each generation has its unique issues that they have to deal with. For um, sure. Many of which are transferable. Um, so, so those are some of the, the, life, the life lessons that I've, that I've been able to kind of take with me. For sure. And I know you're not the only one who kind of shares stuff like that. Um, I think it was about a year or two ago, there was an individual who actually came to the college. I believe his name was Ed Sanborn. And he said very similar things about the importance of learning from individuals who have more experience from you. And it seems like in today's day and age, I'll stereotype a little bit, but it seems like a lot of people have been kind of closed-minded and closed off to learning from the thoughts and opinions and experiences of others. So it's kind of refreshing, at least for someone like myself, to hear another person 
share, you know, the importance of being open-minded and hearing from others and learning from other experiences. Yes, um, I, I think that it is important that we not allow everything that is said or everything that we hear to be polarizing um, or be take, you know, take offense to. Mm -hmm. I can learn just as well from uh, a patient as I can from a professor, as I can from a continuing education provider, um, as long as I'm willing to keep my ears open um, and internalize the lesson. Right. And with that, a lot of people have been very close-minded when it comes to exercise in older adults. They think older adults, once you hit 65, you know, it is not safe to vigorously exercise. It is not okay to load them heavy with weights or calisthenic type exercises. And I wanted to set the stage with pushing for an open mind because this is something that you have researched well and know is kind of false. It is absolutely okay and safe to load someone who is older in a safe manner, in a appropriate manner. And as you've said millions of times, exercise is good after all, so we should be encouraging it. So why should individuals who are older be engaging in exercise? What benefits do they have to gain? Well, I would ask the question back to you, what exercises shouldn't they be involved in? Why shouldn't we <laughs> load them? Um, instead of why, do, why should we load them? Why shouldn't we? Um, a person is a person, whether they're 85 or 25 mm -hmm. or five, um, our bodies are built to work. Our bodies are built to move. When our bodies don't move, our bodies deteriorate. Right. Um, and that applies whether somebody's young or somebody is older. Um, so some specific benefits of exercise. Older adults can improve strength. Older adults can improve balance. Older adults can improve oxygen delivery and extraction at the tissue level. It can improve wound healing. Um, exercise has been shown to help support cognitive function, mood, affect, um, function, ability to perform activities of daily living, mm -hmm. instrumental activities of daily living. Um, people can improve their ability to get up out of a chair and walk and manage themselves throughout their community. Um, so there's, there's uh, benefits abound. And it's never too late to start engaging in those benefits, engaging in exercise and reaping those benefits. You know, just because you're confined to say a walker for walking does not mean that you'll never like wean off of the walker. Like if you get stronger and improve your balance and overall function, you could potentially start walking with a cane or possibly in some, stance, uh, some cases, no assistive device at all. So I feel like kind of going along with this myth that, you know, exercise is not safe for older adults. I think a lot of people forget that older adults can actually progress and not just maintain with the appropriate kind of exercise regime. That's, that's a good lead in. Um, I, and I, I can't agree with you any more than I do. Um, this concept of rehabilitating somebody back to their baseline, it's, that's not something that we should aspire to. Right. Um, because people have the ability to develop reserve beyond their baseline. And so having a baseline from a rehab perspective is, is good, but we need to look beyond that 
We need to look at how we can further develop strength, how to further develop balance, how to further develop functional ability above and beyond that. Right. Now, we've kind of set the stage that exercise is beneficial. Now, the question is, is it safe for everyone? Because a lot of older adults present with different health problems that we don't often see when you're, quote, younger. Uh, so they might be diabetic, they might have obesity or hypertension or what have you. So is it okay for someone who has some kind of pathology to be engaging in exercise? Absolutely. Um, when it comes to exercise, it's never too late to start. Mm -hmm. Earlier, of course, would be better, right. but better late than never. Yep. Um, there have been volumes of studies published mm -hmm. which establish safety as a criteria and an outcome right. for exercise. Um, and so the vast majority of studies that look at benefits and risks way outweigh the benefits of exercise as opposed to the risks. So yes, exercise is safe, even in the oldest of old mm -hmm. and the most frail of frail. If exercise was a pill, it would be prescribed to everybody, right? regardless of age, regardless of comorbidity status, et cetera. Um, but bear in mind, prescriptions require supervision. Mm -hmm. Prescriptions require modification over time. And that's really where I feel that PTs are uniquely suited to be involved in that exercise prescription process. We have the ability to screen for impairments. We have the ability to screen for negatively impacting comorbidities. Right. And also to monitor the response of the exercise to those issues. Right. And that's something I think a lot of people kind of forget or the kind of missing piece with exercise. A lot of people are quick to go on to say Google and search for, you know, exercises for this or exercises for that. And they just go and start doing them. They might not be doing them correctly. They might not even be appropriate for their overall goal or function. And there's a lot of other pieces to the puzzle. Like we said, health status, that kind of plays into this. So you mentioned physical therapy. As you know, I'm a PT student, had some clinicals this summer. I had to send four different patients for Doppler ultrasounds because they scored very high on a clinical prediction rule you actually taught us about called the Wells. Uh, so that's something that if they had a clot in their leg, obviously exercise all of a sudden becomes very bad. We don't wanna do that. Uh, so having someone who can monitor that change in status and ability to say, hey, today we need to get you checked. If things are clear, we'll, we'll pick up tomorrow. Uh, having someone to do that is uh, essential for not just proper engagement in exercise, but safe engagement in exercise, because we want exercise to continue to be good, even though it, even in wrong circumstances can be good sometimes, we wanna make sure that we don't do any undue harm. So I could not echo your uh, call for the importance of physical therapy specifically, because this is a profession that focuses on movement. They are the movement experts and they have training in a lot of different medical types of uh, things like we just talked about with the blood clot. Uh, so it's nice to have that kind of person who can balance the role of like exercise specialist with the role of medical specialist. 
Uh, and that's something that I know you're very passionate about involved with the APTA and all. Um, so now that I've kind of got off my soapbox, um, what exercises do you typically see older adults benefiting the most from? You know, should this be something that they do like ankle pumps laying in bed or should they be doing like barbell squats or is there a kind of happy medium? Well, that's uh, a loaded question. <laughs> Literally. literally. Yep. Um, so uh, we have to take a person-centered approach. Mm -hmm. no, no two people's needs are going to be the same. Some individuals are going to need to start at a lower level of intensity just because they either don't have exposure or experience with exercise um, or because they're severely debilitated. That individual is going to need a completely different exercise prescription than somebody who uh, has been playing pickleball three times a week at their local community center. Um, so there's no right answer to which exercise should somebody be performing. Right. Um, I think that what I've seen from the literature suggests that we should be taking a holistic approach mm -hmm. um, that is initially impairment and function based and grow from there. Right. And that's something you mentioned the literature, you yourself have published a few articles on exercise in the older adults. And one of them was on, I at least one of them was on high intensity training in older adults. So what have you kind of found and concluded on high intensity training? Because that's kind of a buzzword these days uh, in a older adult population. Sure, thank you. Um, and just to clarify, the, the research study that you're speaking about mm -hmm. is with regard to high intensity resistance training mm -hmm. uh, and comparing that to power training. Okay. Um, not high intensity interval training, which we're seeing commonly po popping up in the literature, uh, yep. which would be different than, than high intensity resistance training. Right. Um, so what we're finding is that older adults can be dosed with a... Uh, load that is appropriate based on their one repetition maximum. Mm -hmm. Older adults can safely perform exercise at 80% of their one rep max and higher. Yep. Um, resistance training, high intensity resistance training benefits individuals. Power training benefits individuals. Now, our study was small, mm -hmm. so generalizability is challenging. Right. Um, but our small group of individuals generated different benefits from high intensity resistance training than the power training group did and vice versa. And so maybe it's not a question of which one is better. Maybe it's a question of how do we best utilize both modalities right. uh, in order to truly have the greatest impact on the adult. Right. So, so almost like periodization for older adults exercise in a way. Sure. So uh, for those who have listened for a while, you probably know periodization, but essentially this is where you do a block of high load training to gain strength and follow it with a block of power focused. So more velocity based training and you kind of flip back and forth. Uh, and the goal is to kind of balance the best of both worlds to get benefits from training heavy, but not overdo it because if you just simply train heavy every single day for months and months on end, that can have some effects that we just want to avoid. 
So like anything, you have to do it in moderation. So balance, go ahead. And don't forget about the aerobic capacity as well. Correct. We can't just be strength and power focused. We need to take into account, take into account the entire person, the entire body. And with aerobic capacity, I believe you also did research, correct me if I'm wrong, on weighted vest training and walking in the older adult. Is that correct? That's correct. So was that more of a strength-based study or was that more of a aerobic-based study or a little bit of both? A little bit of both. Yep. So was there any benefits to using the weighted vest during a low-intensity aerobic uh, activity like walking? Yes, the weighted vest group did have significant gains in all measures <clears throat> that were assessed during the course of the study. Um, and the uh, gains in the weighted vest group were significantly greater than those in the non-vest group. Interesting, cool. So another thing, it is safe for an older adult to wear a weighted vest and engage in regular activity. Yes, and I had them uh, at 10% of their body weight um, which can be pretty heavy yeah. uh, for individuals. Um, they, some people did have difficulty getting them on and off. Yep. Um, but other than that, there were no, there were no significant issues. Interesting. What other aerobic-based interventions do you kind of utilize in the older adult population? Is exercise biking good or should they be walking or jogging more? Can older adults run? Older adults can run, older adults can treadmill, older adults can stationary or not stationary bike. Right. Um, devices like elliptical trainers are yeah. fantastic, but not everybody has access to equipment. Right. And so overground walking with a focus on intensity mm -hmm. can be a benefit, can be important and can be used by the masses because not, like I said, not everybody has access to equipment. Right. But hopefully everyone can walk in some capacity. And if they can't walk, then I'm sure there's other things that are available to them uh, that can still get their heart rate up for prolonged periods of time. Um, I was in a rural healthcare setting in the middle of nowhere, and we still had a upper extremity bike in our clinic, which for someone who, for example, maybe they don't have legs, they could take their hands, put them on the upper extremity bike and still get their heart rate up in some cases, they might even get their heart rate up higher than you would if you were leg biking. Uh, so I like how you kind of point out that this is something that if you want to find a way to do it, you can find a way to do it regardless of your situation. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, we're all in different spots in life with what we have access to and what we can afford to do. But a lot of people kind of get caught up in that and use it as more of an excuse instead of a, I don't have access to this, but I can do this. I like to kind of focus on the empowerment side of things instead of the um, disablement side of things personally. And I know you feel very much the same about that. Absolutely. So one thing I've been seeing is this kind of overlap between physical therapy and strength and conditioning. So there's some people that will say PTs are becoming more like strength coaches and strength coaches are becoming more like PTs. Um, so some people like Dr. Aaron Horshig and Dr. Kelly Sturette really kind of blended the two and have done very well in their uh, respective uh, components of physical therapy. What's your take on kind of the physical therapy and strength and conditioning overlap as someone who is well-versed in 
the American Physical Therapy Association and the profession as a whole. You definitely do see a lot of overlap in this regard, especially in the community setting. Um, however, I, I think that you may find that PTs and personal trainers or PTs and strength and conditioning specialists have different approaches right. to the management of their, of their client. Um, the PT perhaps may have more of an eye toward function, mm -hmm. whereas the personal trainer or strength and conditioning specialist may have uh, more of an eye toward true exercise performance. Mm -hmm. Is one better than the other? Not necessarily. Um, I think that older adults probably need to have a combination of both right. in order to have optimal performance and outcomes. And so whether that combination comes from one individual or whether it comes from a team of individuals mm -hmm. um, remains to be seen. And I, I think that there's, there's definitely space in the space for multiple providers. Um, I, I really do uh, feel strongly about uh, the benefits of physical therapy as they pertain to the ability to uh, medically screen and medically supervise um, exercise programs, but that doesn't necessarily have to happen forever. Right. Um, and so, yes, I, I think that there's, there's definitely a need for multiple team members to be able to be involved, to have an optimal performance and outcome. Right. So how could we go about fostering that kind of team approach to care for individuals who might be older in age? Uh, because as we've talked about, accessibility can sometimes be a problem for someone. And Maybe they have a lot of moving parts, so to speak, going on with their own health and life situation. So how can we as providers or potential soon-to-be providers kind of better ourselves and our teamwork with others to get the best possible care for the patient? Well, I think that part of it has to do with uh, putting egos aside um, <laughs> from, both, from both sides of, of the aisle. Right. Um, really becoming person-centered mm -hmm. um, and really conscious effort is required. You know, you might need to uh, reach out to the YMC, your local YMCA or your local 50 plus fit fitness center. Mm -hmm. um, make your services available, mm -hmm. make, your, make your benefits known. Um, really working together to have a discharge plan Mm -hmm. So if somebody's leaving traditional physical therapy services and moving into a health health wellness setting, um, really trying to set things up ahead of time, set them up for success, and not necessarily walk away at that point in time, be available as a consultant. Mm -hmm. um, I think that those are a few a few ways. Definitely. And I like how you said you're available as a consultant because Fitness looks different for everyone, as we both know, and everyone in the older adult population has very different situations. So while we've talked a lot about what we would consider an able-bodied older adult, uh, there's some people who, you know, maybe they're in their 70s or 80s and they're confined to a wheelchair or they're confined to uh, a power chair or something along those lines, and they struggle with the ability to walk independently or even just sit down and stand up independently. And all these things we've talked about have been great, but that's just not to forget that no matter what your situation is, 
you can engage in some form of exercise safely. And uh, going back to that consultant part, that's something that someone like a personal trainer is not trained in. They're not trained in how to train someone in a wheelchair uh, differently from someone who can just stand up and walk around. So that's a huge potential role that I see anyways for physical therapists to shine because not only are you an expert in that, but you can kind of help teach someone how to safely do something like that, that can have a, a longer lasting impact on your patient and any other clients that they might see who are not able-bodied the same as others. Um, do you kind of feel similarly on that or what do you kind of have to, what are your thoughts on something like that? Well stated, I can't, I can't disagree with you. You are correct. I, I don't know that I can expand upon that any further. <laughs> Uh, well, I learned from good people, right? <laughs> so with that, any kind of other closing thoughts, closing remarks when it comes to exercise, fitness, and physical therapy in the older adult population, anything uh, more you want to share? Well, I think that the role of PT in health promotion and wellness is only going to grow mm -hmm. from here. Um, it's going to face some barriers, though. Right. Um, as physical therapists, we are uh, very familiar with using insurance and Medicare as intermediaries <laughs> for payment. Right. Uh, and we're not very comfortable with cash-based services and fees for service um, at the individual level. And really, in order for PTs to receive compensation for their services, we need to be willing to move outside of our traditional insurance-based business model. Correct. Um, and we shouldn't shy away from marketing our services in the health promotion and wellness realm. Right. Um, we're, we're really uniquely, uniquely suited to be involved in that space. We're very highly trained. Um, we have the ability to adapt. Um, and we just need to get over our fear of asking for payment. Correct. And, um, that's something that I've learned quite a bit about over the course of the summer. And the way I love the way it was uh, stated to me by a good friend of mine, they said, you know, if you go to the vet for your dog, you're expected to pay most of the time out of pocket. And that bill could be $1,000, $2,000 just for one appointment. And people hand that over like it's nothing all the time. So if you're willing to do that for your dog, why are you not willing to spend maybe one to $200 for yourself, for your own health and well-being? Because uh, I like to say you can't pour from an empty cup. If you don't have your own health and well-being and you can't do something like say, walk your dog, then how do you expect your dog to be healthy and live the life that you know we would want for it in that case? That was kind of my little analogy that I really like. Um, so no, I completely agree with you there. And this is something that doesn't just benefit the physical therapist, but it benefits the patients as well. I've seen so many patients, uh, and clients who have faced difficulty with their insurance company. They don't get approved for visits or something along those lines. And they simply stop coming. They don't ask, Hey, do you have another option? Is there something else I can do? Or, you know, is there something I should do with my insurance company? Should I call them? Should I like reach out to my secondary insurance uh, agency and see if they're willing to help out or something along those lines? 
so this is something that kind of takes some of that frustration away from the patient and allows them the access that they want and need. And that's not to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's not to say that they still can't just turn it into their insurance company. They might not get reimbursed or reimbursed fully, but there's still the potential for some money back from their insurance company, even though they paid out of pocket for the service. Service. That would depend on the insurance and the, and the, and the setting and the situation. That, that would be a very case-by-case. -case. Right. So it, it's something to look into. But I, uh, I like that you bring that up because I think that's something I agree with you. We often are fearful to walk away from what we've had for a prolonged period of time, the model we've had. And sometimes change can be a good thing. Absolutely. And any change that increases access is going to have a better impact, is going to have a greater impact on the patient, client, community, et cetera. For sure. With that, Dr. M, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your wealth of knowledge and expertise as it relates to uh, fitness in the older adults and how we can best provide for the older adult population. Thank you very much for having me. This was fun.